Hyde Park United Methodist in Tampa, Florida. This is the Bible Project 2020, a journey to reading the Bible without fear or frustration. I'm your host, Matt Hotho. This week, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Emily Hotho and Carrie Stevens to discuss the books of Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, as well as offer some reflections on our journey through the Old Testament as it draws to a close. Emily Hotho is the pastor of Skycrest United Methodist Church in Clearwater, Florida. She's also my wife and the mother to our three kids, Liam, Evan, and Jackson. And Carrie Stevens is a recent Candler School of Theology graduate who holds a Master's of Divinity and is the Director of Children's and Youth Ministries at Skycrest United Methodist Church. We each take one of the prophets from this week's readings and offer some historical background and modern application. Enjoy! Hey, uh, Carrie. So you're covering the book of Haggai for us. I so, am. Yes. Yeah. So tell us a little bit, a little bit about Haggai. When was he prophesying, and what was he concerned about? So this book takes place post-exile, right after Babylonian exile sort of ended. Uh, the Persians took over the land, and then they allowed the Israelites who wanted to go back to Jerusalem they were able to go back. And this, as uh, we might know, is called the remnant of people, just like this little squad of Israelites trying to go back and rebuild um, what had been there before. So his main concern was rebuilding the temple specifically. Um, This was a really big deal for him. And a lot of his issues that he struggled with were getting the people motivated to build the temple um, for a lot of different reasons. Uh, Part of it, he says, he kind of gets on them because they are more concerned about building their own houses, um, taking care of their own things before they're able to build the temple. Um, And there was also a lot of discouragement because they remembered the temple that Solomon built, which of course was grand and beautiful and all these things. And so it was, it was hard to get them excited about building this new temple. And he uh, was prophesying to let them know how important it was to God and how important it was for them to sort of come together and focus on. So kind of with that, um, of all the things to be done post-exile and all the things to be rebuilt, why did Haggai feel that the temple was so very significant? Why was it such a big deal to rebuild it? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think there are probably a couple good answers to this. Um, One of them probably being, I would say, it had a lot to do with their identity as a Jewish people. Once they came back from exile, once they came back from being in Babylon and sort of dispersed in this way, they had to come back together around a certain cause or a certain sort of thing and building the temple for them um, would have solidified that that thing bringing them together was God, was their faith in God. So that was a really big deal. Um, And also he uh, was pointing towards this messianic figure, might have been Zerubbabel, we don't know, might have been all these other things. Uh, So he was pointing towards this and pointing towards this idea that all the nations would come together and join God's kingdom. And the temple was sort of like the place where that would happen. Um, So for the story to move forward, um, God used Haggai to um, encourage them to do this. Also, there was some frustration, as I said, because people were really intent on like building their own homes and setting things up first. So Haggai was frustrated with them. Um, So that's why it was such a big deal to him. And where does this book of Haggai fit into the larger Old Testament narrative? 
Yeah. So this, as I said, is it's right after the exile. So it's these big questions of now that our time of suffering is over, now that we have to rebuild as a Jewish people, rebuild a community, rebuild a faith, rebuild, you know, all these sorts of things. Where, where do they fit in in that? Um, and of course, it comes right before Zechariah and Malachi, um, which you will both talk about soon. So I've been a pastor for maybe 15 years, and I don't think I've ever preached on Haggai, but reading it this time, it seems like it does have a lot of things that would be applicable to us as a community and us as individuals today. Can you talk a little about that? Yeah, definitely. I agree. Like when I would open the Bible to find encouragement or something like that, I wouldn't think to flip to Malachi. I mean, these are so small, you can almost miss these. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. definitely. So um, I think a lot of what is being said here is um, about priorities, as we, as people of faith, um, where, you know, where our priorities are when it comes to what we're taking care of, what's important to us and what we're pointing towards. And there's a lot of talk about like this future hope, future hope of the kingdom. Uh, of course we know the end of the story, but at this point, these people didn't know the end of the story. So I can definitely identify with the Israelites when they have, you know, a tough time motivating themselves to, you work towards this thing that they're not really sure about and kind of come together. Um, so I think God is, I think Haggai is really saying where the importance is in priorities. So it sounds like up next, we're going to talk a little bit about the book of Zechariah. So Matt, uh, when was Zechariah prophesying and sort of what was the main concern? Yeah. So <clears throat> Zechariah is kind of a funky book. Um, I mean, we should understand it as one text, but there's definitely seems to be two separate documents going on here that are kind of brought together at a later time. You've got Zechariah one through eight and then Zechariah nine through 14. And they seem to be written at two kind of different time periods. So Zechariah one through eight is very similar to Haggai. It's written after the exile, same time as like Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, the Persian period. They're trying to come back. They're trying to rebuild. Uh, if you want a specific time, a lot of scholars say 520 BCE, if you got to put it on a put it on a timeline somewhere. And there's a lot of hope in Zechariah, this first half at least, that they can do this, that they can rebuild, that they can get their temple back, that they can get their kingship back, all these kinds of things. And the way Zechariah tells us this story is through eight visions. So he has a first couple of visions that are basically about God delivering the people from their enemies. And these visions sort of build on each other. So the first are God delivering the people from their enemies. Uh, and then the third vision is God setting a wall around Jerusalem. So he's, he's delivered them and now he's kind of building the city back up. In fact, in chapter two, uh, six through 13, uh, in my Bible here, the header actually says interlude. So it's in between the visions and it's an appeal to the exiles to come on back. Everything's going to be okay. Come on back. We can do this. Um, and then the fourth vision uh, sets up, sets up the priesthood. So, the two main institutions in ancient Israel were the priesthood and the kingship. And Zechariah kind of has visions about both. And so the priest is uh, this guy named Joshua, and he's the high priest. And in this vision Zechariah has is he's being tempted by Satan, but he passes the test. Uh, and then in the fifth vision, he has a vision of the king, Zerubbabel. You mentioned Zerubbabel before. Uh, this king who was uh, hoping to come back and be the next kind of king in the line of David for the Israelites returning, uh, they have a vision of him uh, kind of rebuilding the temple, but not being the priest, but being the king who rebuilds the temple. 
And then in the sixth vision is one of a scroll. So we've got law kind of coming back in. The seventh vision is one of uh, the Babylonian, the Babylonian temple being desecrated. It's kind of a, um, a dig at the Babylonians, but you know, we kind of get this revenge fantasy almost kind of saying, okay, and not only are we going to restore our stuff, we're going to get back at those, you know, who tried to take us down. And then finally, Chapter eight is kind of a reboot of the first vision, or I'm sorry, the eighth vision is a reboot of the first vision where these horses that showed up in the first vision, they now have chariots. And so they go out and they're telling the whole world about God. So it's this very comprehensive vision of how God is going to restore the people. Um, And then it kind of ends with these, uh, from chapter six through chapter eight, these concerns of Political concerns. How does the religion, how how does the temple and the state interact? And what's that going to look like? And Zechariah just kind of has some questions about that. And what does it mean to be a community based in justice? But then what you see is when you get into the second half of Zechariah, it's like it changes. It's like it's not going well. And he's very angry. And he almost has like this all hope is lost sort of mentality. And so the uh, the imagery gets really difficult. There's, There's this idea of a of a bad shepherd that goes out and basically murders other shepherds and murders sheep, And it's just very dark. Um, and, you know, some scholars think that maybe there was a bad king arising during this time that he was prophesying against. So there was something wrong. Uh, but nevertheless, what's good to remember in these prophets, especially when it gets dark, when it gets dangerous, is the person who's still in control is God. And God is still in control, uh, even in the second half of Zechariah, when it's really difficult. Um, So is that kind of the application that you would see if people are reading Zechariah and wondering how it might relate to their lives today? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that 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 idea that God is in control is, you know, probably the Sunday school answer um, is that, you know, God is in control, trust in God. Um, But I think if you dig a little deeper in Zechariah, I think it is that prophetic call to justice that, that when the state and religion aren't behaving well together, the prophet rises up to call it out. And when religion is being weaponized, the prophet rises up to call it out. And we too, as people of faith, should be people who rise up to call out times when religion is being used for improper purposes. All right. I think we're on to Malachi. Yeah. So when uh, when was Malachi prophesying? What was his focus? What was his major concerns? Um, so Malachi probably came just a little bit after Haggai and first Zechariah, because the temple is rebuilt and there's been times for things to start going awry again in terms of uh, bad sacrifices are being offered. People are bringing like a lame or blind animal instead of bringing their best one. The sacrifices are going badly. People are misbehaving. Um, So scholars would date this book, uh, maybe the 460s to the 420s, sometime in there BCE. So just a little bit later than the two books that we already talked about. What is the structure of Malachi? So the structure is very interesting. It's a short book uh, of only four chapters, but it is framed in terms of six different oracles. And the oracles are basically disputes that God is having with the people. Uh, The first dispute, uh, God starts out by saying, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you, the people say, how have you loved us? And Mm. then God goes into, oh, you know, everything I've always (laughs) done for you since the beginning of time and citing a few (laughs) examples. Uh, The next oracle is about those bad offerings 
And in that one, God uses some very dramatic language when the prophet is speaking for God and just basically says it would be better for you to shut the doors of the temple altogether than to keep bringing Mm. these crappy offerings to me. Uh, The next oracle is about people behaving faithlessly and uh, leaving their wives to go marry foreigners and to worship foreign gods. The next one, the dispute is where people are just not trusting God to be just or to be fair. People are complaining and saying, oh, see, God's not fair. And God says, no, you got to trust me. Uh, The next one is about people not offering their tithes and offerings. This is the really the only time I've ever really heard Malachi preached on in the Christian world is from Malachi 3, where it says, will anyone rob God? Yet you are robbing God if you don't give your tithes and offerings. I've heard some stewardship sermons on (laughs) that one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then the final oracle is about harsh words against God. And these harsh words that the prophet brings up is people just saying, well, it's vain to serve God. Nothing ever really works out for us. This isn't doing anything for us. We might as well just kind of give up on our faith. So those are the six oracles. And then it just ends with a uh, sort of postscript about the day of the Lord, uh, the coming future kingdom of God, and then uh, a little postscript about remember the teachings and the statutes. And so uh, that kind of makes it a fitting end to the entire Hebrew Bible because it says, remember all these things that we have just studied and learned. Mm-hmm. So what might uh, Malachi have to say to us today in a modern context? Um, I really enjoyed reading and studying this book this week. So several things. Uh, the first one is that although they are back in Jerusalem and the temple is back, things are not better. Um, They have fallen into sin and faithlessness and not trusting God once again. So all those problems from, oh, I don't know, all these other books in the Hebrew Bible, all those problems are kind of still there, even though I'm sure that the whole time they were in exile, they thought, man, if we can just get the temple back, man, if we can just get out of Babylon and back to Jerusalem, everything will be okay. I think that's very Mm -hmm. applicable to where we are now as a church in the pandemic, thinking, oh, if we can just get back in our buildings, Um, if only COVID would end, everything would be different. It's like, well, it's not that simple. Mm -hmm. Um, I think another application is, I just noticed that half of these oracles are about um, not so much actions, but like inward attitudes of not trusting God, Um, not believing that God is good, not remembering that God loved them, that at least half of their sins or problems that are mentioned here are not actions, but attitudes. So I thought that was just kind of a helpful reminder. And then one more, I'm sure I'm going on too long here. One more that I think would be really good for just the end of the Old Testament portion of the Bible project. Uh, When the prophet speaks for God in Malachi, God uses very dramatic language. I mean, this almost sounds like a teenager storming off to their room to me (laughs) at some point where I was like, well, uh, if you can't bring good sacrifices, just close the temple. Um, Or in chapter two of Malachi, you get that verse that, I mean, I've heard quoted sometimes, God hates divorce. And Mm -hmm. that's just a very intense way of saying it. Um, But it kind of makes more sense when you read it in the context of they were behaving faithlessly, they were uh, marrying and starting to worship foreign gods. Um, So you hear it 
sometimes interpreted or said to people. And even the one about um, don't rob God by neglecting your tithes and offerings, you hear that said to people and it, it can sound very intense or harsh coming mm-hmm. from God. Uh, but with study and interpretation, uh, we can kind of gain a meaning that's maybe more helpful. So I think that's why this journey through the Bible hopefully has been helpful to a lot of people. Yeah. Well, thank you, Carrie and Emily, for kind of helping us get through these books. Um, As one final thing that I wanted us to do on this last episode in the Old Testament is earlier this week, I put a question out on our Bible Project 2020 group. Um, One thing that surprised me about the Old Testament was blank, and I invited people to respond. And so I just wanted to share some of those responses and see if you guys had any thoughts on them. Great. All right. So one of the responses was, uh, one thing that surprised this person was that sometimes things that seem so primitive and just, quote, not nice in the Old Testament were actually big steps forward for humanity at that time. Mm, I really like that one. Um, That seems really similar to how I might have answered, actually. When I was thinking about um, the journey through the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible, I thought to myself, well, it's it's maybe not as much one single story that all points to Jesus. When we read it so slowly, like we have over these last several months, um, it's not all just one big prophecy pointing to Jesus. It's a collection of books. It's complicated, um, but it's also not as primitive, harsh, um, an awful picture of God as you hear uh, or maybe think that it is. Uh, if any of us have ever had any fear or frustration with studying the Hebrew Bible before, um, that's a really good reminder that things that seemed primitive were really big steps forward mm-hmm. for humanity at the time. Ideas of, of treating, even though there were slaves, treating your slaves properly, mm-hmm. of leaving food for immigrants, things that we see throughout the uh, Pentateuch especially. Yeah. Um, Okay, another thought was uh, something that surprised them was that the Old Testament could be a lot shorter with a good editor. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Very true. Very true. (laughs) And as we get into uh, uh, the Christian period, we will see that uh, there were people who tried to edit down the Old Testament Mm, (laughs) and take some of the edge off of it. um, And uh, it resisted those chances at editing. Um, Okay, and then one other thing was uh, that the Old Testament is relevant. So many Christian teachers, pastors treat the Old Testament as a footstool of our faith, but so much of our faith still lives in the Old Testament. So much of what we should be reckoning with in the Old Testament uh, is what we should be reckoning with right now. Yeah, I definitely resonate with that. And this has been a huge, I think, sort of shift in my own like journey of faith and my own understanding of the Bible as a whole rather than two pieces. Um, I think mm. a lot of what I have had been taught and what I had sort of thought was that it was truly just this idea that this was leading up to Jesus, which is a big idea. But there's so, so much there. This this person's comment is spot on. There's so much there, so much that we deal with on a regular basis. You know, these ideas of hope when we don't really know what we're hoping for, these ideas of finding faith, even though times are really hard or really weird. Um, And this sort of what I've found is this sort of like up and down roller coaster of like closeness to God and then like, oh, but wait, here's this. And then like really close to God. And then, but I'm still really holding on to this in my life. So all these sorts of things that I um, experience daily more than I'd like to admit are things that I see in the story of the Israelites when it's easy for me to sit back and say, the Israelites are literally the dumbest people in the world. This is so clear cut. It causes me to look inward and say, oh yeah, like these are still things that um, 
I deal with too. So it's absolutely relevant. And as you mentioned earlier, these messages of justice and messages of, you know, how to be people of faith in the world and how to influence the world and bring God's kingdom to earth, um, that's very present in the Old Testament. Well, that was a fun and fitting way to draw our journey through the Old Testament to a close. As you listen this week, reflect on what you've learned about yourself and about God over these last eight months. Perhaps you found your assumptions about the Old Testament challenged. Perhaps you learned something new. Perhaps you gained a clearer picture of who Jesus is from reading the scriptures that shaped his faith. Next week, we will begin our journey through the New Testament. We have lots of great guests lined up, including a number of scholars from across the United States, and we cannot wait to share these conversations with you. We're still worshiping online Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. You can join us on Facebook or at hydeparkumc.org forward slash live. You can also connect with us on Facebook, search for The Bible Project 2020 and request to join. Finally, none of these last eight months would have been possible without the hard work and dedication of our many lay producers and editors. Steve Crawford, Jill Krantz, Celia Furman, Nikki Taylor, Monica Largesse, Joanna Schweitzer, Chris Hockman, and McGray DeVega, and our esteemed guests who are too many to name. Thank you all so very much. I'm Matt Hotho, and I'll see you next week.